0: Join me if you would this morning in First Timothy chapter one. <clears throat> My original intent was to start a series in Philippians, whose theme is joy. But then, uh, as events begin to unfold, uh, pulpit committees working with a man that could be your next shepherd. So I thought, well, you know, God seems to be leading in that direction in terms of their pursuit. Perhaps we should spend some time in First Timothy. Let's take a look at the shepherd's heart. Let's take a look at being a shepherd. Paul is writing this particular epistle to, perhaps this is one of those Webster questions. To whom is he writing? Timothy. Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus. And it's interesting that uh, Timothy required some encouragement to stay there. In fact, as we have dug into his word and and we've discovered that Timothy was probably a, a timid kind of personality. And Paul invested in him, he discipled him, and encourages him to stay there, to shepherd this flock. It's interesting that as we dig into this book, you're going to discover a number of things that that must characterize every pastor. Now understand, and, and we'll talk about this when we get into the qualifications of a pastor, No man is perfect. No man is absolutely pristine. We all have our warts and our wrinkles. We all have our strengths and our weaknesses. Timothy is no exception. Paul, as he writes this letter, and uh, we talked a little bit about this in our Sunday school class this morning, which, by the way, if you don't come to Sunday school, You're really missing out on an opportunity to learn and to participate and to be encouraged and discipled. So let me invite you to come and be a part of our Sunday school hour. Whether it's as children in their children's ministries or as adults in the adult ministries. Come and enjoy that time together. Paul, as he is going about his missionary journeys establishing churches in a number of different communities... Established one in Ephesus. Ephesus is on the Aegean Sea there, and right on the coast. And it was one of those communities that that, that Paul spent some time in. He spent some years there, evangelizing and discipling these dear friends. Ultimately, he leaves and, and goes about as God directs. And Paul encourages Timothy. I call Timothy and Titus Paul's troubleshooters. He were, those were the individuals that he would send into local churches to troubleshoot certain situations. Ephesus was no exception. And as it was often the case when Paul would establish a church and then move on to the next community, the false teachers would follow him in. Oftentimes they were Judaizers. Paul was, uh, as you recall in, in the book of Acts, he would go into a community and he would minister first at the synagogues reaching out to the Jewish community. So it would be no surprise then that Ju- Judaizers would come along and they would creep into those local churches and they would, they would begin preaching a gospel that was different than what Paul had taught. They would preach a gospel that included things that were of the Jewish heritage. So therefore, they would appeal to those Jewish believers. And they would appeal to, to their human nature, which I'll talk about in just a little while. Paul was not an individual who just established a church and then left it on its own. He would oftentimes, uh, he would write, he would share words of encouragement, words of correction. As we saw in Colossians this morning, he would write and he would share, praying for you always, and remind them and encourage them of who they are in Christ. The book of 1 Timothy was written to Timothy, an individual, who, pastoring the church there in Ephesus, was facing some challenges, perhaps in need of this encouragement, perhaps in need of the reminder of who he is in Christ, as first as a child of God, but then second as the under-shepherd that God has placed in that church. As I work my way through 1 Timothy, I'm going to at times be sharing with you different thoughts, different heartfelt experiences, with the intent of illustrating to you how important it is to pray for your pastor, how important it is for you to encourage your pastor because of the things that he deals with, because of the drain that is upon his emotions his physical physiology, and his spiritual well-being. So as we look at Paul addressing Timothy, I find it encouraging that he gives some very practical advice. And I would even go so far as to say this, and it's based on one of the words that is going to be used here in this text. It's more than just advice. It's a command a command that is given to him. So let's take a look. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of this chapter. He starts out with that, the usual Pauline greeting in verses 1 through 3, or one through 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, we teach to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, a foundation from which to draw. A foundation to remind Timothy of who he is and of who Christ is. But then he moves in verses 3 through 7 into what is my first point this morning. He's going to deal with the teachers who taught the wrong stuff. Again, we're dealing with the false teachers who have crept into that local congregation. Who are teaching things that that may appear to be respectable and may appear to be something that uh, is, is... Is something to be added to the gospel that that they had already received and responded to. You see, even in our day and age, in our culture today, there are those who are teaching and suggesting that there is more than just faith in Christ. When I say more, I'm, I'm speaking in the context of there's more to it than just placing your faith in Christ in order to be saved. In fact, there are many today who are blatantly honest about it and say you must, by works, be saved. And nothing could be more contradictory. In fact, Paul, thank you for reading that text this morning. Right on target with what we're dealing with here today. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now oftentimes we stop there at verse number 9 and we, we don't get into verse number 10 there in Ephesians chapter 2. But verse number 10 reminds us of the fact that that faith, that relationship is going to produce works. But don't get the, don't get the cart ahead of the horse. Don't let the tail wag the dog, so to speak. Understanding that it is that relationship, it is that faith that produces the fruit, not the other way around. So Paul, as he's addressing Timothy, he's encouraging him, and he's he's going to give him here in verse number three, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in flesh or in the faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and from sincere faith from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Again, verses 3 through 7, I've identified this as the teachers who taught the wrong stuff. And we'll contrast that with teachers who taught the right stuff in just a few minutes. In verse number three, we've got their identification. He says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remained in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There are those who are in the process of distraction. They're in the process of suggesting other things that need to be added to. And this is not just... The the community of Ephesus, it's also the other communities where Paul has established churches. The Judaizers and false teachers come in and and they're like wolves in sheep's clothing and they begin to teach these other things. And In Colossians, as we'll see in our Sunday school hour, we're going to discover that they had this secret knowledge that you need to know about, that Paul didn't tell you about. You know, I'll see them sitting there with their little booklets and going, I know, but I'll tell you about it. The, the, the whole theme of the book of Colossians is the preeminence of Christ and the fact that we are complete in Christ. There is nothing more. You've learned everything there is to know or need to know about salvation. Timothy, I urge you. This word urge here is one that is a little bit unfortunate in the sense that it doesn't communicate the urgency It doesn't communicate the urgency of the word that that Paul uses to Timothy. It's one that, that, that imposes upon him a commandment. There is no negotiation on this. This you will and must do. Sometimes pastors, being human beings, will sidestep issues. Sometimes they won't deal with things that, that are in their midst. It's, you know, it's oftentimes referred to as the elephant in the room. That's unfortunate. Because like a, 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 an illness or like a cancer, unless we excise it, unless we deal with it, it's going to continue to grow and be a distraction and take us off task. So Paul encourages, no, more so than encourage Commands. Timothy, deal with this. Deal with this. And he goes on there in verse number number 3. He says, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That you may charge them. Uh, The idea here is that, goodness gracious, deal with this. Don't sweep it under the carpet. You know, I, I've seen uh, so many different churches that that they instead of dealing with an issue, we're going to sweep it under the rug, or we're going to push it aside and pretend that it never existed, and hopefully it'll just go away. You know, I suspect, even within First Baptist Church of Mount Pleasant, that if you if I were to sit down with some of you, especially you older timers. That I would hear all sorts of stories of different things and personalities and different, different historical things that have been a part of the history of, of this church, good and bad. And those are always a, 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 a joyful time for me, by the way, because I can see the grace of God at work, as God works with congregations, as He works with personalities, as He deals with people. God's grace and God's mercy are so precious. Timothy, don't sweep it under the rug. Don't pretend that it doesn't exist. Challenge it. And the word that is used here is one that, it, that, that, that carries with it the idea, it, it, oftentimes, I need to regress for just a second, oftentimes people that are these false teachers are doing so openly. They're not doing it behind closed doors. They're openly sharing different things. They're sharing them in the pews. Well, they didn't have pews back then. Whatever it was they were sitting on, whether it was the ground or, or something else. They were sharing it openly among everybody. They were teaching this. So how should Timothy deal with it? Well, This is one of those things that's very public. So the way to deal with this is what? Publicly. Publicly. For two reasons. Number one, you're pointing out the falsehood. Here's the problem. And here are the people who are causing the problem. And number two, here's the truth. So you're addressing both groups of people. You're confronting the falsehood with the truth. I shared the example this morning of Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, this morning. If you don't know this book, be conscious of this hell does exist. It is very real. It is a place of torment. It is a place of judgment. It is real. No matter what Rob Bell or anybody else says. Culturally, human beings don't want to acknowledge the negative or they don't want to acknowledge the bad. So if I get rid of hell, then we can have a a relatively joyous lifetime. The problem with that is by taking away hell, we take away the necessity of the cross. We take away the necessity of God coming in the flesh and dying on that cross. And we take away the resurrection and the power thereof. Hell exists, friends. Rob Bell is wrong. And that is an example, my friends, of the fact that a pastor needs to be able to stand in front of a group of people and identify what's wrong. Identify the personalities that are involved, if necessary, and refute it. Thus saith the Lord. So as, I'm, as, as Paul is addressing Timothy, he's giving him this charge. He's giving him this mandate, charge some that they may, may teach no other doctrine, that they teach no other doctrine. Notice he does not identify who they are here in this verse, though he may identify them a little bit later on. But this context, I, I don't know whether Paul is addressing it from the perspective of, I don't want to give more credence to it by calling them by me, or just simply there aren't enough of them to worry about in terms of their name. It's what they're teaching that's the problem, and that's true. So Timothy charged them that they preach no other doctrine. Charge them. You know, one of the reasons we do this, and one of the reasons we go through this process, whether we're talking about this particular circumstance or we're talking about Matthew 18 and church discipline, the whole point of this process is not to, to put somebody down or to hurt somebody or to drive somebody away. The whole point is for reconciliation, to bring them back into the fellowship, to put them under the ministry of the word, the truth. You see, the objective is we do this because we love them. We do this because the truth is always going to be the truth. And we do this because, in this case, false doctrine is going to confuse, distract, and derail the things that God is trying to do here. The time we have to spend on it could have been spent elsewhere doing other things for Christ. But the devil's hard at work. He's hard at work there in Ephesus. He's hard at work in Mount Pleasant. He's hard at work everywhere. Distracting us, discouraging us, frustrating us. And forcing us to spend time on things that could better be spent elsewhere. Timothy, deal with this. Deal with this. They were teaching a different doctrine here. Charge some that they teach no other doctrine. The different doctrine here is is something that that is completely different from that which you've already learned and been taught. It is a different animal altogether. It's not something that is alongside of. It's not something that's connected to. It is something that is contradictory of. That's the word that is used here. Challenge this. You know, we're we're living in a culture today in which we find people who want to be so tolerant of everybody else's beliefs uh, and and I'm I'm not disputing the fact that we need to be respectful. Don't misunderstand me. And I'm not disputing the fact that we shouldn't have conversation about. But you never need to apologize for the truth. The truth is always the truth, all the time. Timothy, challenge this. Refute this. What is it that he's dealing with here? I'm glad you asked that question. Jump down to verse 6. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Um, let's see here. Back in verse number 5. the now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. What is idle talk? Idle talk. Hmm. I think the King James uses the word vain, vain conversation. The idea here is of something that is just simply hot air. That's the word vain, empty, a bubble of nothing. Vain talk. The idea also here is not only of emptiness, but aimless. You ever been in that kind of a conversation and then wonder, how do I get out of this? Or how did I get into this? You're having a conversation and there's nothing there. There's no substance. It just winds all over the place. I had a conversation with one, one individual one time and, 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 and it just went round and round and round and round. And they thought to them, they, I think they honestly believed that what they were saying was True. But what they were dealing with, what they were doing, was just simply stating a a mythology or a myth or an untruth. And then this is the foundation of the truth that leads to this one, that leads to this one, that leads to this one. And they just kept going in circles. And that's what happens with false teachers. They build, we call them today, talking points. You hear them talking about that in the news all the time. Talking points. Nobody's questioning the talking points as to whether or not they're truth or not. Well, in this case, they were falsehoods. And then they were building on those falsehoods and creating this big body of information that Paul identifies as empty, aimless. He calls it idle talk. This different doctrine. Over in Titus chapter 1 and verse 14 he talks about myths uh, also as he addresses timothy or excuse me as he addresses titus in chapter 1 verse 14 he says this not giving heed to jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth jewish fables that word fables is is a word that uh, means myth or mythology it's a it's a word that means legends the Jewish faith, the Jewish system at that time included not just the Torah or the the, the the books of the law, but it also included the Talmud, which had not only the the, uh, the historical some of the historical, but it had other things that were included in it, and then there was another book that was called the uh, um, the the Mish, Mishnah, the Mishnah. The Mishnah was a book that the Pharisees had put together that included not just the law, but it also included all their interpretations of the law and all the different things that were required to prevent us from falling or failing as far as that law was concerned. Those are the, the, the kinds of things that uh, Jesus was addressing at the Sermon on the Mount. You've got so much uh, rules and regulations here, you're missing the point. The Mishnah and the Talmud also included this word, legends. Now, let me give you an illustration of this, because we have our own today, don't we? Hmm. Paul Bunyan and Babe of the Blue Ox. A myth, legend. There's a place up in the UP on the Keweenaw Peninsula, It's in a bay that's south of uh, Copper Harbor. Betty Grice, I think is the pronunciation of the community. This place has the whitest sand in Michigan. Beautiful beach. They have a legend, a myth as to how that came to be. Apparently a a Native American uh, woman fell in love with Lake Superior. She would go to this beach and she would grieve. She grieved there her entire life, and her tears cleansed the sand and made it so white. Legends. Legends. And there are people, believe it or not, who accept some of this stuff. When did you hear about Paul Bunyan? When you were a child? Maybe you never heard about Paul Bunyan. Oh, goodness, we need to talk. He lost his mitten. That's how Michigan came to be. Uh Uh-huh. The Talmud and the Mishnah contained all these legends. And here's the thing, the, the Judaizers were coming into these local churches and, and they were they were proposing all sorts of things that needed to be added to the gospel that were a part of the process that was involved in that salvation, that was a part of being saved. And that included the keeping of the law, that included being circumcised, that included the dietary restrictions, that included the calendar, keeping all of those holidays, it included all of those, those mythologies that were a part of the Talmud and the Mishnah. You need to to adhere to these things. And Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you need to combat this. Human human nature being what it is, people want to embrace things that that help them define who they are. Let me give you another illustration that helps you understand this. Many people identify who they are by the jobs that they have. Many people, that's their definition of who they are. By the way, that is very dangerous. Our definition is not in our job. It's not in what our parents have told us. It's in Christ. Songs we sang this morning, a number of them reminding us of who we are in Christ. My measuring stick is Christ. Not my job. Not the Judaizer's not the rules and the regulations. See one of the problems with this is that humanity being what it is it likes to spend time it likes to spend time measuring things. Do I measure up spiritually? Do I measure up to tip the scale so that I can get into heaven? It measures their spirituality. It measures their perception of who they are. And that's wrong. Totally wrong. Uh, the vain speaking we talked about here in verse number 6. Or actually, I mentioned it earlier on. He says, From what some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Timothy, your responsibility. Timothy, your responsibility is to charge these individuals. Your responsibility in verses 7 and 5 are very distinct. Uh, you need to charge them to desist. You need to charge them to cease and desist right now. You can't do this. Now friends, understand something as churches today, we cannot allow this to happen within our, our, our Sunday schools or from the pulpit. You ever hear somebody preaching from this pulpit and they're preaching something other than Christ. You need to do something immediately, immediately. Because I know human nature, you know human nature. There are Believe it or not, there are people today who believe everything they read. And everything that they hear. Oh, friends. How many people have said, if it's on the internet, it must be true? Come on. There are so many books out there and magazine articles out there that are lies, bold faced lies, and they're in print, they're in black and white. And people are reading these things and they're believing these things. People have become so naive. And I might add one more thing. People have gotten to the point where they they don't want to think for themselves. They want to be spoon-fed. And folks, stop it. God created us to be thinking individuals. To think things through. There's nothing wrong with critical thinking. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. Just make sure of where you're going to find the answers. Because the answers are not in your horoscope. The answers are not in the latest People magazine. The answers are in the Word of God. This book, folks, it hasn't changed from the day it was written whether we're talking about Moses' writing or we're talking about Paul's writing or John's writing there in the book of Revelation. It has not changed. That's because God doesn't change. And the truth will always be the truth. You can count on it. You can bank on it. So here is Paul telling Timothy, okay, challenge these people. Challenge them to cease and desist. Seek a positive response. What is that positive response? Notice in verse number five, but the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. He gives us three different things here that are a part of that process or a part of that response. He first talks about the love. <laughs> we talked about this in Sunday school. See what you're missing in Sunday school? You've got to come to Sunday school. We were talking about the love that God, well, first of all, he, the love that he showed toward us. But mostly, we talked about this morning the fact that we are the conduit through which God works, through which God demonstrates that love oftentimes, and how precious it is to go to churches and to be among the family of God. I shared with that Sunday school class this morning the fact that Kathy and I we came, we spoke here on December tenth last uh, last December, and we when we left and we were driving home, we commented about the fact how. How precious it was to be among God's people, and how at home it felt to be with God's people. That, my friend, is a product. That is the fruit of what it is that Paul's talking about here in verse number five. The goal, the objective, again, verse number five. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. What is it that created the pure heart? It wasn't the flesh. It was the redemptive work of the cross that has created that that purity of heart. Now, I grant you, sin oftentimes will will cramp that. But the fact is, we are to be that conduit. And when it flows from a pure heart, when it flows from God, we are all the beneficiaries of it. Did you come here this morning needing, needing encouragement? Now, you don't have to hold up your hand, but I dare say that probably 75, 80% of you came this morning and you are in need of encouragement. I don't know, I may not know what's going on in your life, but God does. And one of the reasons you're here today is not only to worship him in spirit and in truth, but one of the reasons you're here today is to be fed, to be encouraged. I liken this to uh, the gas tank on your car. You can go through the day and you can be driving about doing your business and you're watching as the gas gauge goes down. And at some point you're going to need to stop. By the way, I recommend you do it before the warning light comes on. I'm one of those people that when I get below half a tank, I'm looking for a gas station. Because I never know what I'm going to be called on to do next. I want to make sure I have a full gas tank if possible. That is not an aberration, that is just the way I am. Our lives, our hearts, our minds are a lot like that gas tank. And it needs to be fueled. It needs to be fueled. And there are a lot of ways in which that happens. It happens in our devotions. It happens in our prayer times. It happens when we gather with God's people. Have you ever done a study on the spiritual gifts? The spiritual gifts that that God talks about? I want you to understand something. God makes it so crystal clear. Those spiritual gifts do not exist for your personal edification. Those spiritual gifts exist for the edification of the body of Christ. Whatever gifts you have, you are supposed to be exercising them among the family of God so that we all can benefit from them. Whether we're talking about administration or the gift of helps, whatever it happens to be, you're supposed to exercise it so we all can benefit from it. We need to fill our tanks. And as we see here, one of the fruits or one of the one of the things that is that is a part of that process is the love of God being exercised through us. Now you may be sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, Well, doggone, I, I don't know how. That might be legitimate. But here's the thing God doesn't call us to be. Spectators. God calls us to be participants. He doesn't call us to be couch potatoes. He calls us to be team members. To encourage each other. To lean on each other. And at times to carry the burdens together. I need that. So do you. Perhaps this is a place I should stop for just a moment and mention the fact pastors need to be encouraged too. They're just like you. We're not supermen. We might be super, but we're not supermen. Here's the fact. Here's the truth. We put our pants on just like everybody else. What might be different and and should be different is the fact that we're empowered by the Spirit of God, to accomplish the work of the ministry, which we all are, which in the pastor's case involves so much more than you can possibly imagine. The burdens that your pastor carries, I think maybe I've said this before, your pastor is carrying not only the burdens of his own family and of his own personal life, but he's carrying the burdens of everybody sitting in this auditorium. You're sitting there going, why does he do that? (laughs) Foolish man. My friend, that's what he's called to do. And it's only by the the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, that he's able to do that. And he has to get his, his tank fueled up as well. So how does he do it? Same way you do. On his knees, in the word, At church, rubbing elbows, interacting. And he also goes to conferences and workshops and that sort of thing. Which, by the way, you need to encourage your pastor to do. Don't let him become an island unto himself. He needs the encouragement of other pastors. By the way, these are being recorded so you can come back and you can write these all down later on. Okay? Paul? Ralph? You chairman? Okay, so that is that. Th- those are the people who are teaching the wrong stuff, the myths, the vain speaking. Charge them, confront them. The Judaizing that they're accomplishing or doing here in the midst of this congregation, you need to confront it. In verses eight through eleven, you get the teachers who failed to use the right stuff properly. Verse eight. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. What did he just describe? Exodus chapter 20 the Ten Commandments. He just gave examples of every one of them in order, the Ten Commandments. What is he doing? He's pointing a finger at these false teachers and he's using their own ammunition against them. That's not what the law was intended for, what they're using it as. You don't use the law to measure up. You don't use the law to be the means of gaining salvation. The law simply was this. It revealed sin and man's inability to keep the whole law. That's what it did. It set a standard, yes. Are we obligated today? Are we we responsible for the law? Yes, we are. But it is not the means of salvation. In fact, he makes that argument right here in this text by telling us that it is not for the righteous man. We're not made righteous by the law. We're made righteous by a relationship with Jesus Christ, by faith, not by the law. I shared in Sunday school this morning, I love how Paul writes. He is not politically correct in any way, shape, or form. He just tells it like it is. And this, my friends, is the way it is. The righteous man is not made righteous by the law. There's a proper way to use the law, to teach the law. To be obedient to the law in the context of of, of what it says. Do not. Do not buy into that lie. Don't buy into what the flesh says. That I need some measuring stick. I need some means of, of measuring my spirituality. Paul told the Corinthian believers. He said the only measuring stick you need is Christ. And do you understand that by using that measuring stick, I am never going to measure up in this this lifetime. I am never in the flesh going to measure up to that standard. But praise be to God that when God looks at me, he sees Christ. He sees Christ. Again, the song that we sang this morning, one of the songs we sang this morning, In Christ Alone. In Christ alone. Mm. Okay. The teachers who failed to use the right stuff properly. The good stuff, verse number 8. The improper use of the good stuff, the righteous man, its impropriety, and so on and so forth as as far as a measuring stick is concerned. The proper use of the right stuff. The proper use of the right stuff. It identifies in verses 9 and 10... It identifies the unsparingness of evil. You see that list of things that are given there. Identifying the ten, different, the ten Commandments. Here's the evil. Here are the things that are happening in their culture and happening in our culture today. And I, I, I suspect one of the things that Paul is driving home here is the fact that there is no room for sin. There is no room for sin. And we need to understand that because sometimes we we get it into our minds that there are certain sins that I can get away with that nobody knows about. Remember the book, uh, uh, maybe you haven't read it, maybe you should read it. It's called Respectable Sins. Now I'm trying to remember who wrote it. Jerry Bridges, thank you, Jerry Bridges. Respectable Sins. Get it. Is it in the library? If it's not, get online. Amazon's got it. Respectable sins. We've gotten gotten so refined in how we walk our lives today, how we live our lives today, that there are some things that are happening in our lives that we just dismiss. Listen, folks. Sin ought to grieve us. It ought to grieve us. It ought to make us take a step back. If it's in my own life or it's in the life of another believer, I should be grieving. It was shared with us this morning. Aaron Door's uncle passed away unexpectedly. It was shared in our Sunday school hour a young man by the name of Eric. His mother just passed away. Both of them believers. The uncle and the mom. You go over into 1 Thessalonians and you find Paul's words to them. You understand, as Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians had a lot of questions about death. What's next? That's one of the reasons why Paul wrote that letter. And he, he gives them the assurance, he gives them that encouragement. Not only of what's next, But of what's now. For we do not grieve as those who have no hope, he says there, chapter 4. You see, we have a hope that is eternal. We have a hope that is real. We have a hope that is not a, well, you know, I hope it doesn't snow today. You might say that, I wouldn't. It's not that kind of a hope. Peter, when he wrote to 1 Peter chapter 1, he he shares with us there about this living hope. And it's not a, a, well, it might or it might not happen. It is a word of certainty. This is the reality of what is going to happen. That's why he calls it a living hope. It's not something that is, that is a maybe. It is a reality. So Timothy as you address these false teachers do so with the understanding do so with the the perception do so with the with the uh, the understanding that you are coming from a position of of a solid foundation in the person of Jesus Christ You've got the truth As I shared before pastors are all different and I'm not the same as Timothy Timothy's not the same as me But there are some things that need to be consistent and real. And that is a willingness to preach the truth, regardless of what the political climate might be. We need to preach and teach about what the Word of God has to say about every issue that is a part of our lives today. What does God say about that? I'm often asked that question about different things. Well, my my answer is always the same. What does God have to say about that? Let's go take a look. Now, I wonder sometimes as these people ask these questions, oh, I knew you were going to say that. But you understand, I'm going to share the truth. I'm not going to share what's been homogenized out there and made respectable. I'm going to share with you what God says and then let the chips fall where they may. May not make you popular. You've ever heard the, uh, the, the husband and wife, and the, the wife says the husband always has to be right? You know, if he takes a stand on the Word of God and he just speaks the Word of God, he's going to always be right. It's the other stuff that he may have a problem with. Take a stand on the Word, friends. And every pastor out there who is charged with the responsibility of handling the Word must handle the Word responsibly. Must handle the Word responsibly. Don't dance around it. Don't don't homogenize it. Don't put frosting on it. This is the way it is. This is what God says. This is how it applies. Timothy, share the truth. Call these people out by name. Identify what they're teaching. Share the truth. God's grace and God's mercy. truth that will never, ever go out of style. May I challenge you this week as you go forth from this place to be a conduit through which others look at you and they see not only the example of God's grace and God's mercy, but they see the conduit through which he's working. And never be afraid to share with them this. I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet, and God's still working on me, so I'm not perfect. But I know the one who is, and this is what he said. Amen? Father, thank you for our time together this morning, and thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to use it to impact us and challenge us. God, even each of us here this morning are are at different places on that walk with you. We're all growing, we're all maturing. Or maybe there are some who have become stagnant and need to get moving again. God, I just pray that your spirit and your word would encourage us to get out of neutral and get driving down the road again. And there may be those with us this morning whose tanks are almost empty. Lord, I pray that you would use whatever tools, whatever resources are necessary to refill that tank. God, we want to be effective. We want to be on that road of life. And we want to be able to share and make a difference for eternity. Father, we pray that you would use us imperfect tools to accomplish your perfect purpose. Thank you for this time together this morning. And if there is a need, God, meet that need as only you can. And if you are here, my friend, and you need to talk, you need to share, My door is open. Take advantage of that resource. We thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all of God's people said, Amen.